I think it's important for listeners to hear the breath in the whole book the way I heard it in my own head as I was writing. To be honest, when I think about a dream narrator other than myself to read my book, I can't. There was one that was a tongue twister. There was Myrie Marriage Hole. Now I can say it fine, but when I was trying to say it while we were reading, that was a challenge. Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet travel writer and poet Gretel Ehrlich, Rabbi Steve Leader, and author and mediator Tony Newhoff. Whether it's finding solace in nature, beauty in grief, or fresh insight into difficult relationships, each of these authors has written and narrated audiobooks about moving from narrow spots into open, expansive spaces. Listen in to hear what it was like for them to record their audiobooks. Enjoy. Hi, this is Gretel Ehrlich, author of The Solace of Open Spaces and Unsolaced. We recorded two books. The first wasn't my first book, but the first book published by a New York publisher in 1985. And my last book, which is coming out in January, Unsolaced. So the first one was The Solace of Open Spaces and then Unsolaced. The Solace of Open Spaces was written when I kind of left my old life and stayed in Wyoming after the death of a loved one. I also quit being a filmmaker and turned full-time to writing, which all my friends said, oh, you've gone back to the 19th century. How brilliant of you. And it's meant to be a bookend to this last book called Unsolaced. Of course, many things happened in between, and many books were written in between, but it has to do with the ways in which the changing climate has torn our sense of a viable future apart. Not completely, but it has certainly changed the bright, innocent enthusiasm that I brought to the first book as I entered the later years of my life. So they're kind of bookends. They both happen in Wyoming and reflect not only the beauty of that place, but also the difficulty of the, you could call the global weather of climate change. What I meant by Unsolace being my last book, I meant to say the last book I wrote, I'm already starting on a new book. So I imagine I'll just keep writing till I drop off the writing chair the way the poet Jim Harrison, my old pal, did. He was writing a poem, and then he just keeled over, and he was dead. I think that's a good way to die. We should all die doing the things that we're not only perhaps good at, but we also love doing. Recording, especially two books back-to-back, is exhausting, but in a good way, (laughs) mostly because I don't really talk that much and never have. My jaw and tongue and throat got tired. Yeah, I had a lot of problems with pronunciation because especially in my second book, Unsolaced, I traveled all over the world. Although I, I do know some words in some other languages, there were just certain things that, especially in Kosovo, that actually I couldn't check out the pronunciation. I left my 
English-Albanian dictionary in another house, and the person who kind of stars in that essay is a trauma surgeon and a doctor in charge of a whole bunch of hospitals in New York, and he just doesn't have time to return my calls to tell me how to pronounce things. So we're just giving me a pass on that, and anyone listening just has to bear with me if I've said something wrong. I think it's important for listeners to hear the author's voice, whether your voice is cracked or raspy or whatever, but you hear the breath in the sentence, you hear the breath in the whole book, the way I heard it in my own head as I was writing. So much of writing is not words, it's also the spaces and breath between words and thoughts and sentences and chapters. So I wouldn't say I'm proud of what I've done, but I'm I'm happy to have had the opportunity to give the listener just a brief taste of what I intended it to sound like. My dream narrator would be my husband, Neil Conan, who was for 11 years the host of Talk of the Nation. He has a beautiful voice, much better than mine, mellow and thoughtful and Yeah, we miss hearing him on the radio. When I'm driving long, long distances, I listen to audiobooks. And I love Tony Hillerman's books about the Navajo Nation, because I've spent a lot of time down there. I have Navajo friends. But there's just something, I don't know, that helps you move down the long highways in the West, because the long roads between Hogans in the Navajo Nation require a sort of patience. But in the old days, when I used to pick up hay out of the hayfields in Wyoming, I used to listen to cassette tapes of Yeats and T.S. Eliot reading their poems, and that was just wonderful. And now, listen to a clip from Gretel Ehrlich's Unsolaced. Forty years ago, I drove north on a two-lane highway that tipped up and over the lip of Wyoming at Tai Siding. A cowgirl galloped across open range to the post office, tied her horse to the hitch rail, retrieved her mail, and galloped away. I stopped the car to look. The grassland spread out wide, and three separate herds of pronghorn antelope ran in different directions. Sun poked through clouds, spotlighting bits of ground as if on a stage where an animal appeared, hid its mark, then wandered on. As I drove, the embrace came slowly, ardently, and took me by surprise. This is Steve Leader, author of The Beauty of What Remains, How Our Greatest Fear Becomes Our Greatest Gift. I was inspired to write this book by the reaction from my congregation to a sermon I gave about the 10 things I had learned about life from being surrounded by so much death. That, combined with the death of my own father, really impelled me to try to articulate for others what a powerful teacher death is about the value and the beauty and the meaning of life. If I had to describe the feeling of narrating my own book in a single word, I would say surreal. And I use that word 
because there were times when reading the manuscript, it was so true to the core of my being that I felt like I was, in a way, revealing myself to the world, and yet in such a private and really intimate way that it felt both real and not real at the same time. And, of course, it caused me to journey back to the time of my father's death and, therefore, to his life that preceded that. It was kind of like being with my dad again in the sound booth which was both sad and beautiful at the same time. The word that I learned how to properly pronounce through narrating this book is the word distillate. I have for years used that word and pronounced it distillate. And it turns out, thanks to my wonderful, wonderful director, Andrea Kaufman, who taught me, it is pronounced distillate, not distillate. And so that was a revelation to me, and I will not make that mistake again. I think what I'm most proud of in terms of my narration is the rhythm created by the word choice. I think every single word is important, both for its meaning and its sound, and the way in which it fits together rhythmically with the rest of the sentence and the paragraph. I find it extremely rewarding. When I'm narrating a sentence and the rhythm feels perfect to me. And that to me is the most gratifying experience I have as a writer, is knowing that the book not only has meaning in terms of its intellectual content, but that it feels meaningful through its rhythm and therefore its power and the way it unfolds for the listener. That to me is the art of writing, and it's very gratifying when it feels right. To be honest, when I think about a dream narrator other than myself to read my book, I can't. Because the truth is, I find it incredibly difficult to listen to other people read my writing out loud because they're not hitting the rhythm. They're not phrasing it. They're not articulating it. They're not emphasizing words in exactly the way I would, and therefore it just grates on me, almost like listening to someone singing out of key. So I honestly don't wish for anyone living or dead other than myself to narrate my writing. I just find it too disturbing. And now, please enjoy a clip from my audiobook. We were a small group most of us a year out of college and just back from Israel, where we had spent the first of our five-year curriculum learning Hebrew. Now that we were stateside, it was time to learn everything else required to serve our pulpits and keep our tradition alive. That included a field trip to death's storefront, the mortuary. Looking at the shallow, twin-bed-sized porcelain table on stainless steel legs with a drain toward the bottom and a coiled hose above, I realized that I would have to face a lot of death in my career. You'd think I would have figured that out before I entered the seminary. But then again, how many people who decide what they want to be at 15 really think things through? This is Tony Newhoff. 
I wrote Before You Split for a couple of reasons, and one was that I wanted to share our experience, my husband Carrie's and mine, with finding our way out of a very hard place of a dark season in our marriage. And as a divorce attorney, I worked with some people who were going through a divorce, and even they wondered why they were getting the divorce. Also, I worked with some people who, at the end of the day, said, if I'd known then what I know now, I would have tried harder to save my marriage. I was really inspired by that feedback to share our experience and to show people what I'd seen as a divorce attorney so that they might take some steps toward saving the marriage or at least take some steps toward bringing more peace into their relationship or love into their family. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that one word would be emotional. I actually had a hard time getting through some of the passages that describe the experiences Carrie and I went through, some of the ideas that I feel very passionately about. I tend to cry easily. You know, I can even cry at a commercial, so I'm just glad I had people working with me who were very patient There were a few places where I had trouble pronouncing the words. One of them was imago. Is it imago? Imago. The Imago Institute. Misogynistic. There was one that was a tongue twister. There was miry marriage hole. Now I can say it fine, but when I was trying to say it while we were reading, that was a challenge. Also, I found it hard to incorporate the word humility into a sentence. I'm excited that listeners will be able to explore the options for their struggling marriages, whether to split or survive or save their marriage, and at the same time, learn and consider more about next steps that could bring more peace into what may be a chaotic family environment. I'm also excited that people will learn more about how to protect kids from conflict and how to see the situation of parents being at odds with each other more from their kids' perspectives. I would say my dream narrator, if I wasn't the one narrating my book, would be Kira Knightley, simply because I just love her voice. One of the favorite audiobooks that I've listened to is Becoming by Michelle Obama. She did a fantastic job, and what she wrote was so meaningful. If you haven't listened to that book yet, you really need to. I listen to audiobooks when I'm on the go, so I can't say there's any favorite place. I might be in the car, I might be gardening, I might be running, but sometime when I'm out and about, you'll find me listening to audiobooks. And now, here's a clip from my audiobook. Is your marriage harmful? Maybe you find yourself in an unhappy marriage, which describes most couples I saw while practicing family law. Maybe you're unhappy because you've drifted apart from your spouse, you've lost the passion, or you're stuck in what seems like endless conflict. Or maybe one of you has had an affair. For whatever reason, you're desperately frustrated with your unhappiness. A harmful marriage is different from an unhappy marriage. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. 
For more behind the mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com/nextlisten.